Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. For a few days, it looked like the NBA postseason might never be completed, but here we are just a few hours away from an Eastern Conference semifinals battle between the Miami Heat and Milwaukee Bucks, and this is a crossover preview of what to expect from one of the most anticipated postseason matchups this year. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. I'm David Romero, the host of Locked on Heat, and with me is Kane Pittman, Host of Locked On Bucks, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm I'm excited as well. I do feel like uh, over the last week, I know we touched base at the start of last week and, and sort of said, "All right, let's start to plan for this. Let's start to think about doing this crossover episode." Obviously, uh, the Bucks series went uh, an extra game, and obviously, the, what we've seen in the NBA the last few days, it's a little bit later than we thought it was going to be. But quick turnaround for the Bucks. But I'm I'm excited. I think this is going to be a great series. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also am very excited about it. I, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more, but even as good as the Pacers presumably were, and obviously TJ Warren was shooting as well as anybody in the Orlando bubble, I just I never got that sense that they were a real tough matchup. And I'm sure you probably felt similarly about Orlando, despite the fact that they somehow <laughs> managed to steal game one there. And they never really felt like a legitimate threat to the Milwaukee's overall strength but uh you know just just for our listeners sake we'll we'll be each handling a segment where we field questions about the opposing team and then we'll wrap things up with some key things to look out for as well as our predictions about the series i'm sure we'll be talking again throughout the series but today's episode will definitely be a good one uh so to get ready for the again a, a very anticipated matchup so if kane if you're ready we'll, we'll start going yeah let's dive into it what do you want to start with where do we want to start because i i do think that on both sides of the floor for both teams. I mean, there's so many talking points through this series. Clearly, even just their regular season games against each other over the last two years since uh, Bud came into town for the Bucks as head coach uh, have been really fascinating. There's, there's, a lot, there's a lot to uh, sort of walk through here. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up because the regular season matchups, you know, obviously I don't think they really mean much in terms mm-hmm. of postseason success, but it seems like Heat fans and my listenership in particular are saying, oh, you know, they beat the, we beat them twice already. We're, we're, we're fine. We can totally do this. And maybe I think they're a little overconfident. But at the same time, some of those wins were without key personnel from the Heat side. I'm not sure. I don't recall if there were key Bucks players that might have been missing for those. But it seems like it really dictated a lot of how Miami was still able to, to find a way to beat Milwaukee, especially in that first matchup early in the season. No Jimmy Butler. Justice Winslow is still on the team. And... Uh, <laughs> able to do a lot of the things well that they were able to implement later on. Do you look at the regular season success that Miami's had and and view that as a precursor to what we're going to expect in the next series? I think the way Miami plays, particularly on the offensive end in general, is pretty indicative of, of what you might see in this series, what they might try to exploit. So, Again, I think when I watch Miami play, and this has been the case for a number of years, this isn't just over the last few years, Spolster, we know, one of the best coaches in the business, but 
the amount of off-ball movement, the, the amount of dribble handoffs, pick-and-roll action that the Miami Heat throw at you, I think does present a challenge for this Bucks defense that we know. I mean, it's been ranked number one for over the course of the last two seasons. So I think in terms of the different looks that the Heat can give you, the different guys that can become scoring weapons within this team, I'm not sure whether one isolated game with different guys out of the lineups, different matchups, I'm not sure whether I'm taking anything out of individual games, but I think the system in general that Miami runs is one that could potentially give the Bucks some, some troubles through, through a seven-game series. Absolutely. And I think we saw that against Indiana where Duncan Robinson was mitigated for a couple of those, and obviously Robinson having a historically great shooting night uh, season, rather, and, and still – Miami was able to be very effective because of that off-ball cutting because they were using Robinson as a screener or a decoy in several plays, and his gravity is pretty considerable, you know, given his shooting prowess. Uh, So he was able to continuously move off-ball. On occasion, he was even able to cut to the rim with Bam Adebayo being a player who can obviously pass from the the high post. And so, uh, you know, their offense is free-flowing. It's constantly moving, and it's very difficult to stop any one player. Uh, And again, as you pointed out, so many different players that can knock down the shooting, uh, you know, knock down the perimeter shot. Given Milwaukee's defense, though, I mean, obviously they're very good. They, They... the rim protection is elite with Brooke Lopez there, a player who does not get enough consideration, uh, I think, from my perspective, as far as his incredible defense. But uh, what can Milwaukee's defense do to compensate for that off-ball shooting? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because even when I went back and did look at some of the other times that these two teams have played, ultimately the result of the game still comes back to the paint defense. So Miami obviously shot the ball really well in their series against Indiana. I think in general they've shot the ball pretty well along with a lot of teams, I must say, in the bubble so far. So my expectation is that in terms of individual matchups, Wesley Matthews might be a key guy for the Bucks. I think that he's going to be the man that's going to be chasing Duncan Robertson around the perimeter like a madman for the course of the series. So I certainly don't envy Wesley Matthews in that regard. We saw him uh, have some success in the second half in that game a couple of weeks ago. Although I think the big difference when you look at that game is obviously no Goran Dragic, no Jimmy Butler. So that Miami lacked that ball handling, that shot creation, that uh, offense initiator that they're going to have in this series. So that's obviously important to point out but I, I think from a defensive point of view for the Bucks, you can really tell the difference even sometimes within games with the intensity of their closeouts with their ability to get over the top of screens now Eric Bledsoe is the guy that you think of in that situation coming into this series he is listed as questionable on the injury report with hamstring soreness we spoke to Bud this morning and he didn't give a lot away but he said that after the game against Orlando game five Bledsoe did have some hamstring uh, awareness was the word he used, which I think everyone Mm. laughs at and has no idea what the hell that actually means. But clearly for the Bucs defensively, if Eric Bledsoe starts this season out of the lineup, uh, it's a huge blow because Goran Dragic, again, I mentioned he didn't play in that game a couple of weeks ago, but he, he has been playing so well and is such a dangerous pick and roll guard. Who would start in Bledsoe's place if he's, in fact, out for game one, at least? Yeah, it'll be really interesting because during the regular season, Dante DiVincenzo has been the guy right. that's that's automatically stepped in. But my suspicion, because of the fact that Dragic has been playing so well, I think they'd probably go to George Hill in that scenario. That makes a lot of sense, obviously. Some experience there. Um, Hill having been mm-hmm. able to guard Dragic on a number of occasions there. So that that's... Yeah. Uh, 
an interesting uh, matchup there. Uh, you know, I, I would still expect some tweaks from the Heat starting lineup, though. I, I know mm-hmm. Goran's been starting. That seems like that's going to continue being the case, uh, given that Kendrick Nunn has somewhat fallen out of the rotation. He did get some minutes in game four against Indiana. But I, I'm, I'm expecting Myers Leonard to get some significant playing time, if nothing else, just because of the Brook Lopez factor. And I think that Leonard, as a seven-footer who can space the floor pretty well, uh, is going to be able to at least draw Lopez away from the paint. And obviously, Nick Vucevic had some success uh, against the Bucks in that regard. Do you see that being a potential threat there as far as Leonard starting? Or, or would you be more concerned with the pairing of Bam Adebayo and Jay Crowder, which has been Miami's front court so far during the playoffs? Yeah, this is what makes Miami so interesting for me from a matchup perspective, particularly over seven games, because... We saw the way that the Bucs have defended Bam Adebayo in the past. Now, clearly, this guy is a beautiful passer. He can create offense himself, but the Bucs are fine with saying, we're not even going to come near you on the perimeter. Now, this is nothing new, and I'm sure that Bam has seen this. I haven't watched the Heat as closely as you, but I'm sure that this is a coverage we see. But for the Bucs, it does allow them to focus on the other guys and say, well, Bam, even if you are in pick-and-roll scenarios or, or dribble handoff scenarios. We're not going to worry about you on the perimeter. As long as we close out on the shooters, we're going to be confident. So I think that the temptation would be to play uh, Kelly Olenek or, or Myers Leonard, no doubt, in those uh, sort of five-out shooting lineups. But I, I wonder, from your perspective in that situation, whether that exposes the defense a little bit because I do think that in those situations, the Bucks will say, okay, well, now we're going to attack you down the other end. And I think that you lose something because... I think what makes Miami so unique defensively is you can have Bam at the five, you can have Jay Crowder, you can have Jimmy Butler, and everyone always talks about this mythical wall with the Bucs. But those three guys, the size, the physicality of those three guys uh, is pretty unique, and it it does make uh, life difficult for a guy like Giannis. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that I keep seeing a lot of people looking forward to the Bam out of bio Giannis out of the Kumpo matchup. Like it's an individual one. It's not. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's far from it. Uh, obviously, out of the Kumpo has a number of shooters that he can find if things get difficult for him. And likewise, Miami's defense is geared towards having a number of players, like as you pointed out, that are versatile and switchable enough. And, and the acquisition of Jay Crowder and Iguodala, I don't think it's any secret. Uh, it was done with the purpose of limiting Anadokounmpo in uh, the postseason matchup. So a number of players there, even Derek Jones Jr., who did get at least one start against the Bucks, if I recall correctly. I think another game where they were missing Myers Leonard in March. I think Derek got some starts there. And while he's a little bit more wiry, he's also a guy that's switchable and can guard you know anywhere from one through four. Uh, maybe not as effectively as uh, Crowder or Iguodala, but certainly the potential there. So that's that's the whole thing. You're right. It's not a wall. It's a number of different defenders that can really harass uh, Adetokounmpo mm-hmm. and, and continue to switch off. If he, if he finds a, a, a shooter on the perimeter, they can kick out to him or close that out pretty quickly. If he tries that spin move, he's got a number of, of different players there he has to go up against. So it's that to me that's ultimately what it boils down to is how well Adetokounmpo can respond and find a way to get around that number of different players and whether or not anyone on Miami's side uh picks up any early foul trouble that could easily be exploited by Milwaukee's end so that's that's a, a really fun one I wanted to ask you a little bit kind of switching here a bit uh, you know obviously Milwaukee has not played I think as well as you would have expected them to be in the Orlando bubble a lot of people have talked about the loss of momentum and that the, the hiatus really took something out of how well and historically well Milwaukee have been playing. 
do you see that they've been somewhat lackluster since they entered the Orlando bubble through eight seeding games and, of course, against an inferior opponent in the Orlando Magic? And do you have any concerns about how they'll be able to, quote-unquote, step up to a, a, a better opponent like Miami? I certainly did if you had have asked me that after game one of the, <laughs> yeah. of the Magic series because to that point, uh, we'd only seen flashes. So I think the, the Celtics game, the first seeding game that they played, they beat the Celtics. And I, I thought there was stretches in that game where the intensity was where it had been throughout the regular season, particularly uh, defensively. The second half against Miami, clearly they came out with a different <laughs> level of urgency defensively. I, I think everyone saw that. It was pretty clear to see with those closeouts and trying to shut down the heat a little bit because at that point, uh, that game was becoming a bit of an embarrassment for the Bucs. They were down it was. Uh, 20-odd points at that point and just didn't look like even competing. So... I think once you lose game one of the the playoffs, it's like, well, okay, is this team going to wake up? And I don't think there was any concern that the Bucs weren't going to get through the series, but the last thing anyone really wants or needs in a first-round series against a team like Orlando is a six- or seven-game series. So the Bucs had to make some adjustments pretty quick, and I do feel that we saw a similar thing out west with the Lakers where they lost game one and full credit to Portland. Clearly, uh, they were playing at a high level and Damian Lillard was, was just insane. But the Lakers and the Bucks did come into this with basically the number one seed locked up. There wasn't yeah. a lot to play for. And I do feel that this Bucks team, even though they didn't admit it, even though they said that they came in with the right attitude for game one, I did think that they, they slept, walked through that game one and thought that eh, we're just going to end up winning this game eventually. We'll come back in the fourth quarter. So I, I think that it's almost become, strangely enough, a positive that they lost that game one. And the wake-up call came in the first round rather than coming into this series and still not finding that extra gear. So defensively, after that game one, they looked very much like the Milwaukee Bucks that we've come to know. Have they struggled with the, uh, the Orlando scenario, the bubble and everything else it entails? Because I know they're a very good team at home. Mm. Similarly, I mean, Miami is also very good and they struggle somewhat on the road. But they, keep, they maintain the heat too anyway that they don't really care about the bubble. They, don't really, they haven't really minded not having fans cheer them on, that the whole experience hasn't really got to them. And in fact, in today's presser, they all pretty much reiterated this team is built for this kind of experience. I don't know if that's somewhat over-exaggerated or just kind of bravado. At the same time, I know you've made some points about Milwaukee's potential difficulties adjusting to not having their home crowd there. Do you really see that as a concern for the Bucks players? Well, I think overall, it's just a, it's an ultimate leveler, isn't it? I mean, we think about this series where sure. game one and two would have been at fire serve, game seven would have been at fire serve. I mean, it's just undisputable that no teams have been affected by this more than the number one seeds purely from a home court advantage. I do think that, as you sort of pointed to, Listening to the Miami guys speak this morning, I think it's the right attitude, isn't it? I mean, you, you have to be positive. You have to say that it doesn't mean anything. You have to give that that uh, sort of a, approach anyway publicly. And I thought that the Bucks at times didn't do that. I thought that they were talking about the home court a little bit. They were talking about the difficulty of the bubble. And I think there's always a concern that the more you talk about it, the more it becomes a thing. So... I think that they responded certainly over the last few weeks, but also it has to be pointed out and every team is going through this. We've seen this over the last week. Uh, Not only are these guys not had their families down there, which now they will have, which I think is going to give everyone a boost from every team being able to get their family members in there. But there's so much else going on outside of basketball right now that I think, you know, certainly, I mean, we've seen it in the last few days uh, with the Bucks in general, uh, clearly uh, a lot that's been going on in Wisconsin, in Kenosha. I mean, it's affecting these guys 
at, at the high level, a really high level. And basketball at times, I'm sure, has to be hard to focus on them. But again, this is something every team is dealing with. Well, you know, maybe a little bit more closely for the, the Bucks players, right. uh, obviously. But uh, I was a little surprised at how well and effectively they came out in game five. And yeah. Maybe it was a little, bit, a little bit closer, but with so much that's gone on and with a kind of focus, and we've already heard about the rather tense moments where it seemed like the other teams in a bubble kind of rallied against Milwaukee for taking this rash action, even though I think it was one that ultimately all the teams would have agreed to had they discussed it in a, in a kind of open forum, uh, as they did later on that Wednesday night when they had that players-only meeting. At the same time, I'm I'm a little surprised that the Bucks weren't rattled. Have you got any kind of sense – from those players and talking to them that maybe they've been able to move on to a lesser degree. I mean, obviously not completely free of all the distractions and all the issues taking place outside of Orlando's bubble, but I mean that they're kind of focused primarily on basketball moving forward. Yeah. I don't think that that's going to be the case. Certainly not what they've said all pregame yesterday for or prior to game five, I should say was all about a non-basketball stuff. Totally understandable given what happened sure. post game was the same. Uh, today was a little bit more about basketball and we spoke about the Miami series and what to expect moving forward. I, I think the important thing that for all these guys is that they want to make clear that, yeah, we're professionals. Yes, we're going to try and win a playoff game. Our goal is still to win a championship, but ultimately we do want to keep making it clear that a game of basketball is not as important as what is going on uh, back in our community. So I, I don't think they're ever going to lose that message, but I will say this team, and, and I've been fortunate enough to be around in the last couple of years uh, obviously, I'm not at the moment, but they are so close 1 through 16. It is unbelievable. And and I know a lot of locker rooms say this, but truly 1 through 16, this team is, they, they talk about it all the time, but they are so close. And I think what happened the other day and the fact that they stuck together and went through that together and, and continue to go through this, this experience together, I, I think if anything, it, it may have steal their resolve a little bit more and they can focus on what they're trying to do on the court. And they've sort of spoke about that a little bit. They've said this whole experience and understanding that this isn't just the, the black players on the team that are going through this. Everyone is with them. Everyone is side by side and ready to support each other, no matter what the decision is, even if that includes not hitting the court on a, for a basketball playoff game. I mean, think about it. It's incredible. So I think from that perspective, this, this group, has has gotten stronger as a as a as a family, I guess, if you want to use that word over the last few days, no doubt. Yeah, I mean that's incredible. I, I would never have considered that it would be the kind of thing that, as you said, steal would steal them together and maybe tighten that group a little bit for a group that's already on the yeah. outside. Seem like they get along very well and, and they have a sense of camaraderie. I mean, I'll say from the Miami perspective, obviously there's a great deal of camaraderie there. Yeah. I know the the opinion on Jimmy Butler was that it would create chaos. <laughs> And quite the opposite, but they've been very consistently friendly and open towards one another, even when they were going through some early season struggles in the rotation and players like Deion Waiters and James Johnson, who were not happy with their roles, they stuck with it. They kind of, again, were very, very cohesive as a group. Uh, the additions of Crowder and Iguodala have helped immensely. It does seem on the outside like a good group, but for Milwaukee to tighten up even more and be, again, that kind of cohesive group is, is pretty impressive. So I think a lot of Heat fans probably think that Miami is better prepared emotionally uh, or intellectually for whatever you might, they might have the personality, but I mean, the Bucks, I mean, the Bucks are really good and, and, and great team. They've been historically good. They're, they're kind of being 
a little, I, I think, uh, not taken as seriously as they should be. And so I have some concerns about that. And I, I don't know if it's time already to jump into our, our predictions, but uh, I, I'm curious what you have to say about that because it seems like a lot of people are already thinking that Miami somehow, because of their culture, because of their mindset, because they have that kind of defensive awareness and they've had some success against Milwaukee, uh, that they might be ready to upset the Bucs. Uh, have you... What, what's your opinion on that? And, and you know, what, uh, what have you seen as far as that's concerned? Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting, actually, because Miami, there's, <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you can't sit here objectively and say that Miami are not a threat to win the series because they are. They're, they're a really good team. They're really well coached. They're a strong defensive team and they shoot really well, which is kind of the, the method for beating the Bucs. But I do. I will say that they have become the hot upset favorite, haven't they? I mean, you you read around yeah. and there's there's a lot of people that are jumping off the Bucks bandwagon. But uh, again, this is something that that we see. I, I think across all sports. I mean, until a team gets over that final hurdle, people will doubt them until they do it. So I, I don't think that there's any great surprise from the Bucks camp. I, I think that certainly. It would be the case if the Bucs were playing Toronto, if the Bucs were playing Boston right now, I think it would be the same. I, I think that the concerns you pointed to, the fact that they haven't looked at their absolute best uh, during the bubble certainly has fueled this because simply it was so damn long ago when the Bucs were playing at their best. I mean, we're talking back to well, the All-Star break, late February, early March. I mean, that feels like a, a complete year ago or, or years ago. It's, it's so strange to even think back to that. So I think all those factors contribute. But I would say that I don't think... Uh, the, the playing group, I would say, is probably not paying too much attention to, to all that uh, as much as we are. Time now to talk about the best tasting protein bar ever made. Of course, it is Built Bar, the new and approved Built Bar, by the way. 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors that include caramel brownie, cookies and cream, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, and then the 12 original flavors. Of course, they still have raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, I can keep going down and down the list. Built Bars are healthy and great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Great for those that are on the keto diet. And, of course, we still have the same great offer that we've always had. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your next order. Not your first order. $10 off your next order. Keep going back. Use the promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And for a limited time, there's still a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. So don't, don't mess around. Check it out now at BuiltBar.com. Well, you kind of alluded to it earlier with Eric Bledsoe, um, mm. you know, potentially missing some time there and obviously having to bring up uh, DiVincenzo or Hill. And it seems like, at least, again, from the outside perspective, that maybe Milwaukee's depth has not been a great strength of theirs throughout the course of the season. I know on occasion it has, but uh, it's been somewhat inconsistent, particularly in the Orlando bubble, versus Miami's depth, which has been a considerable strength of theirs. How do you see those two differing you know levels of depth there as far as whether or not one team has a clear advantage because yeah you talked about it with Myers Leonard or Kelly Olenek guys that at the center position can stretch the floor very well you've got a number of scores you've got a rookie like Tyler Hero who's playing anything like a rookie and has been a considerable offensive boost off the bench even a guy like Kendrick Nunn can't get any playing time and he was a rookie of the year candidate for much of the year so you look at Miami's depth and I would say it's pretty clearly a a, you know something in their favorite um do you disagree or agree 
Um, I, I probably agree, mostly mostly due to the point that I, I think when you look at Miami, you see four or five guys that are, yeah, Jimmy Butler might be the head of the snake, sure, but it is more even spread than the Bucks who have Giannis, head and shoulders above everyone, and then a right. bunch of a bunch of guys below that. But clearly for the Bucks, and we, we spoke about it before, if we go back to how you stop Giannis, I think over seven games, ultimately you're probably not going to stop him. But if you don't allow him to be the efficiency monster that he has been offensively, then you give yourself a chance. And that's where the other guys come into play. And Chris Milton, I mean, he's probably going to be an All-NBA player this year. So surely a lot uh, rides on his shoulders. Brook Lopez offensively has been great in the bubble. They've used him in different ways. They've posted him up. He's been getting three-point looks in the corner, which is not something that he's done in the past. So they've certainly utilized Lopez in other ways. And then it's, it's, it's a bunch of different guys that one day you're going to have to get 10 points from Pat Connaughton. The next game, it's going to have to be Wesley Matthews. The next game, it might be Marvin Williams. So, yeah, the Bucks are relying on getting one or two contributors from that deep rotation that Bud uh, likes to use. But again, the, the, the key point for the Bucks offensively against a really good Miami defense is don't just stand in the corners and give the ball to Giannis and say, well, go figure it out, man, because that's when it becomes too easy defensively for the opposition. The guys have to be moving, they have to be running actions, getting guys, uh, getting the defense unsettled. That's how the Bucs can have success. Can, can you <laughs> help my listeners and explain Chris Middleton and how good he is? Because I feel like he is hmm. so widely, uh, you know, just not considered for being as good as he is. And obviously a very versatile player, a great scorer, great defender. Uh, I think uh, obviously a, clearly an all-star and a great second player uh, alongside out of the Kumpo, but it just seems like he's constantly taken for granted. And I can't seem to ever make any headway. I keep talking about how good Middleton is and people seem to just ignore him outright. I know this is probably across the board around the league. Uh, he's just not taken very seriously because I don't, I don't know for reasons that I can't seem to fathom. I know that he's had some issues, quote unquote, stepping up in, in key moments or in postseason play. But uh, for the most part, he's been a really, really solid player for a number of years that just hasn't gotten his due. Could you please shed some light in the Middleton situation for us? Well, listen, this is a guy this year that averaged 21 points, six rebounds, four assists in 30 minutes per game. Actually, in below 30 minutes per game, fewer than 30 minutes, 29.9 minutes per game on the season. And he averaged 21, six and four on 50, 40, 90 shooting. So this guy, this guy is pretty efficient. And it's not necessarily... Uh, that he's benefiting from playing with Giannis. I mean, sure, he does get some some nice open three looks. There's no doubt about that. But this guy right. is one of the best players in isolation in the mid-range. He will post you up. He, he's got, uh, he shoots well over 50% in mid-range fadeaway jump shots. And those are all always heavily contested. The guy's smooth, smooth as they come shooting the ball. And he just takes looks that, quite honestly, other guys in the league can't make. And they come from the mid-range. And that's why I think the criticism comes a little bit because if you haven't watched a lot of Chris Milton, you may watch a game and maybe he'll miss a couple of those shots and you'll think, geez, that's, uh, that's, I don't know why he's taking that shot. That's kind of an interesting right. shot. That's how Chris Milton plays. The only thing I will say, the reason why he doesn't get the attention that other players do that, have the, that post the numbers that he do is he's quiet. He doesn't necessarily like doing media. He's not necessarily flashy. He likes to just go out there and play, go about his business and go home and hang out with his family. And I think that's why he's been such a, a key player next to Giannis and why they're such a good fit because they're two guys that just go out and play. And they're not interested about getting all the attention and doing all the media. And I think that's what makes Chris Milton special. But no doubt also why he has been uh, underrated across the league and perhaps doesn't get the attention other players do because I guess you could suggest that uh, he's boring compared to some of the other stars. I'm sure he's fine with that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the tendency is to kind of view him as a potential X factor, but that's again diminishing how good right, he is. Right. He, he's an all star. Uh, he's a very good player, so he's not. Uh, is there an X factor that you see? Because I, I think for me, it's Dragic. I, I think mm-hmm. uh, as good as he's been. I just don't know that he can continue this level of play. And I have serious – I mean, look, he's a gamer. He's, you know, a veteran. He, he's shown some incredible flashes against Indiana, but I think that was up against Justin Holliday, uh, you know, finding open space there. I, I don't I don't know that he's going to have that kind of success against Milwaukee. So, to me, that's the, the biggest X factor for Miami's offense. Is there a player that fits that bill in Milwaukee? Yeah, I, first of all, I 100% agree with Dragic. I mean, this, this guy, uh, I've, as a threat and, and, and again, an underrated point guard, you're going to look back at this guy's career at the end and say, well, damn, he, he's, he was in the league for a hell of a long time playing at a high level. But for him to average 23 points at above 40% shooting from three against Indiana, I mean, yeah. if he does that, Milwaukee are in a little bit of trouble if he plays to that level, I will say that. As far as the Bucks go for X-Factors, I think it is Brook Lopez because, again, I did point to the different ways that they're using him. So against the Magic, he shot over 70% on two-point field goal attempts, and he seems to have found his three-point shot a little bit more. Uh, he was below 30% on the season. Uh, through the, the seeding games and then the playoff games, he's been back up around the mid-30s from three-point land, and that's huge for the Bucks. So if they can use him as a guy that uh, they can not only post up, they can throw lobs to, they can get him three-point corner looks. This is just not the way he's been used. Uh, He's been typically a guy that stands above the break and will shoot transition threes. So the fact that they've utilized this guy who uh, we all know, I mean, go back only a couple of years ago, he's a 20-point scorer and and really versatile in the post. The game has gone away from that, but I I think that the Bucs going back and utilizing Brook Lopez as a second or third option offensively has been huge for them because it's it's kind of been this under underutilized asset for the first season and a half under Mark Budenholzer. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with your your pick as well because he, he is a player that concerns me, not just what he can do defensively, but offensively um, with a smaller lineup out there. Bam can switch and pick him up. Guys like Crowder and others can kind of, you know, try and limit what uh, Lopez can do. But if he gets in the post, forget it. He, he'll cook. I think he'd even have some success against Bam, to be honest with you. I, I don't think there's a player on Miami's roster that can challenge Lopez uh, defensively. So that is a huge concern. If he's knocking down that shot, forget about it. I mean, that could really sway a couple games in, in Milwaukee's favor. I, I think a lot of Heat fans say, well, you know, maybe if you just limit what Adetokounmpo can do and just let everybody else try and have mm-hmm. some success, then you'll find a way to beat the Bucks. But that's easier said than done. It's not like you're going to shut – Giannis down completely you're just going to hinder him to some degree and although Miami's had some success I wouldn't think that they could maintain that level of success over seven games so clearly that's going to be a very difficult matchup for Miami so I don't know I mean is there any other point that you kind of feel like you want to get into here while we're, we're on the line together yeah, so just there's just one stat that I wanted to point out, and this again, and we've spoke about it. I mean, you can take whatever you want to take away from the the three regular season games that these teams played. But the thing that stood out to me when I was going back and sort of pouring through some numbers, and it's really basic stuff. In the two wins that Miami had, they shot 42% from three on 40 attempts. Oh, yeah. Obviously, that's a great number. But in the game they lost, they shot 45% on 45 attempts. So I think we get so focused on the three-point shooting but the number that's going to stand out for the Bucs if they're going to win this series, in the two wins, Miami scored 39 points in the paint. 
In the loss, they only had 22. So I think when we talk about this Bucks defense, we know they're the number one paint defense in the league. They have been all season long. A lot of people get sort of mixed up and confused and thinking, well, if Miami shoots well from three, they can win the series. They can, but only if they are getting the Bucks unsettled and disrupting their paint defense as well. That's what's going to be the factor for mine. So to me, I, I just think that's all. You can put a lot of that on the absence of Jimmy Butler. Uh, sure, obviously, yeah. you pointed out to you know, as a, a key playmaker there, an underrated one throughout his career, but also a guy whose outside shot has not been there for most of the season. Although we saw a couple three pointers fall for him against the Pacers. Overall, though, the mid range game or. or Cleaning up around the rim is still his strength. He's big enough, agile enough to get that shot over most wing defenders. He's great in placement. He's a good cutter. Um, he knows how to get to the rim. And moreover, he's also very good at slowing the game down and drawing fouls at such a high level mm-hmm. that he's going to get at least eight to ten points on any given night uh, You know, against a good team like Milwaukee. Even as good a, as a defensive team as the Bucks have been, I think Jimmy's still going to be able to get to the line and control the flow of the game. Uh, that was missing in that one loss to Milwaukee. So uh, also no, no dragage, as you pointed out earlier. So I, if you're looking at the points in the paint, you're going to get a lot of those from Jimmy. Goran as well, still a guy who can get to the rim, use what he calls the iron shoulder to space uh, defenders, get him <laughs> away, uh, you know, create a little bit of room there and finish at the rim. Very good at not necessarily creating that first burst, but he's just he's just really wily. Uh, he knows how to stop very quickly. Uh, it's always been something that's underrated for him is that it's not necessarily how quick he is in driving to the hoop, but he knows when to put on the brakes as well as anybody. And when he does, he uses that pull-up jumper from the paint or even from like eight, eight to ten feet away, and, and he does it very, very effectively still. So I, I think you're going to see a lot more of that scoring that what is missing in that one loss attributed to to Jimmy and Goron. So that's that's a key source for them, obviously. Both of them have to be playing at a very high level in order for them to have any kind of advantage over Milwaukee. So last one here for me anyway, and then uh, you can throw anything back at me before we, I, I guess we have to make our predictions. It maybe it might be obvious which way we're going to go there, but let me, let me ask you this. I think this is something that's always interesting and, and produces anxiety one way or the other among fans before a playoff series. So the Bucks roll straight on. They played a day ago. Obviously Miami would have been waiting regardless, but with the extra three days, obviously of stoppage of the postseason. They've had a significant amount of time off here. Uh, what's your feeling about how this is going to affect the heat uh, for the start of game one? Do you anticipate uh, any any issues getting back into the swing of things here? In uh, I mean, every game one is pivotal, but this this does feel like getting off to a good start in this series will be key. I would say for m- many teams, I, they would probably come out a little rusty for Miami, especially given that, as we pointed out, Goran's a little older. Jimmy was banged mm-hmm. up in game four where he separated his shoulder a little. And, you know, I, I think it's going to benefit them. Uh, and moreover, Eric Spolster just does not take his foot off the gas regardless <laughs> of the situation. Those practices are, tend to be brutally long, and I think they've been in pretty good shape. He's going to make sure that they are focused. He seemed – you were on the call. He, he was so dismissive of that, whether or not his guys yeah. would be quote-unquote ready. He was like, yeah, they'll be ready. Uh, and I think that's just the case. He knows how to get everybody prepared. He's been through this so much with the, the, the Big Three era. He knows how to get teams ready for that next step. And so 
I don't think there'll be anybody taking the the game off or anything like that. They're going to try to come out to a big, you know, momentum push and, and see what that happens because you have to be able to create a little space knowing that eventually Milwaukee is going to get hot and even things up. So for Miami, I think they're they're going to want to make a, a statement early on. So I would actually expect them to come out a little bit hotter uh, than most teams and, and make a quick statement and then uh, see where it goes from there and whether or not they can kind of uh, limit what out of the Kumpo and the rest of the Bucks can do. I like it. I like it. I'm really excited for game one. I know uh, I mentioned to you, I'm just purely excited because if the Locked On Heat listeners haven't picked up, I am Australian. So I'm back home at the moment. I I had to uh, come home from Milwaukee. So this is an 8.30 tip for me, 5.30 Central, 6.30 Eastern. The Bucks have been playing afternoon games the whole way through, which Giannis is openly does not like he's a guy that loves to have an afternoon nap so maybe maybe he will be in better rhythm with a, a almost night game as well i guess six thirty night game uh, in florida there i think uh i think the bucks will be very happy that they're not playing at lunchtime for the first time in a little bit yeah i mean miami's schedule seems like it's been pretty up and down uh, they yeah. had a few early games there but uh yeah at six thirty. Uh, Heat fans probably aren't too happy about that because they'll probably be stuck on tra- in traffic mm-hmm. just trying to get them back to home so that they can watch the games from wherever they watch them. So I, I'm not ideal uh, for Heat fans, but I'm glad to to hear that you're uh, <laughs> going to have some convenient times to watch these games and record a show afterwards. Shall we launch in, into our predictions there? I, as you said, I think they'll probably be pretty likely. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's shock everyone with our predictions here. All right. Uh, I am going to go with the Heat in six. Well, that's great because uh, I'm going Bucks in six, and I, I and I have to go Bucks in six anyway because this has been the calling cry of the Bucks. It's by the way the last two time the last time these two teams met, Brandon yeah. Jennings, of course, said Bucks in six. Uh, in the end, uh, they got swept. So hopefully, this isn't some sort of uh, bad omen that I'm presenting here. But ever since that happened, it felt like the Bucks have to eventually win a series in six. It feels fitting that they're playing Miami again. So give me bucks in six. Yeah, like I mean, it's a gonna it's gonna be a lot more tightly contested, I think, than either side expects. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, obviously Miami capable of defending very well. They've got the depth. They've got the coaching that gives them a slight edge. But uh, obviously Milwaukee has some great talent. It's it's gonna be fun. I mean, two different styles to some degree. Uh, obviously, different types of personnel on there. Uh, it's gonna be. I just I I am also very very excited about the opportunity to watch these two team plays. It feels like they've been on a collision course all season long. I, I think obviously Milwaukee, as good as they've been during the regular season, they were the the measuring stick for a team like Miami that nobody really expected to go this far. I don't think anybody really thought that they'd get out of the first round of the playoffs. And while they did get lucky against an Indiana team that was somewhat undermanned. I think they, they've got the, the temperament. They've got the personnel to challenge Milwaukee. And, and so that's – six might be pushing it. It could go to seven games. And either way, uh, if that's the case, then either team obviously has a very mm-hmm. good chance uh, of knocking off the others. But it's – wow. It's going to be fun. Look, everyone loves an upset. Everyone gets excited about the upset in the first round of the playoffs. But we're in the semifinals in the second round, and we've got clearly – the four best teams in the East all season long. They're the four teams that I thought were going to be in this position. And uh, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the other series as well. Obviously, Boston handled Toronto pretty comfortably there. But uh, it should be a couple of good series, and particularly for this one, obviously, uh, we'll be taking a, an extra close interest in this one. But uh, as like you said, I just can't say it enough. I can't wait for this one to get going. 
Yeah, I'm sure we'll uh, talk again at some point in the near future once these uh, teams match up. And hopefully we'll see a lot of the things that we discussed play out over the first couple of games. It should be a good one. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, it was fun. It was good to catch up. And make sure you stay safe over there. Absolutely.